Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. We're going to do a a little review from last week and then we're going to continue on with our study here in Genesis chapter 12. And if you will, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read that verse number 5 again. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 5. It says, And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And last week we focused on that first part of that where it talked about uh, that Abram took Sarai and his wife. We had mentioned that previously that the situation here was that we are witness now to this uh, situation taking place, this special mission that God had established for Abram to head up And we witness here in this verse number five, the very first part of it, that this mission has been restored to its rightful leader. Because we talked about that before it had been usurped by Terah, which was Abram's father, and he wasn't supposed to be in that capacity, but he had more or less railroaded the whole mission and taken control of it. But here in verse number five, it's been restored to its rightful leadership. And so the next part of verse number five tells us about the fact that as this leadership is getting underway, they're going to take all of their substance, they're going to take all of the souls that they have acquired along with what they brought into Haran, and they're going to take all of their wealth with them when they leave Haran. And we mentioned the fact that um, it's kind of a questionable thing. Why are we being told that all this wealth that they've got, they're going to take it all with them when they leave because that's kind of a no-brainer. That's kind of assumed that you would automatically take everything that's yours. It's our human nature to take everything that we've got that's ours, that belongs to us. We're going to take it with us when we go. And that's the common sense approach to it, to assume that that is the point unless God says otherwise. But here God's telling us what we already have assumed, what we've already considered to be the normal routine of conducting this type of a situation. And we decided that God wants to show us some things about himself. One of the first things we talked about is that God has uh, a a two-part revelation of himself, if you will, that he wants to show us. And one of them is that God's got a great impassioned desire to bless. It's who he is. You can't separate that from him. That's who he is. He has a desire unparalleled to bless. He wants to bless. That's the God of the Old Testament. You know, sometimes we get the the misrepresentation of God that there's a different God from the Old Testament than there is from the New. 
Because there are things that happen in the Old Testament that really don't seem like they align with the God of the New Testament. It's the same God. Jesus revealed the God of the Old Testament. This loving, compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ, is God. Revealed. Everything that Jesus demonstrated and showed us is the same God that existed in the Old Testament. He's the same. And as Jesus gave and gave and gave and couldn't wait to give, God is the same in the Old Testament. And here he is demonstrating that fact to us in this life of, of, of experience here with, that Abram is experiencing as he's going on this mission that God has called him to. And one of the other parts of this, not only does God have this great desire to bless, but he knows how to bless us and how much to bless us. We don't always agree with the way God blesses us. There are some things we would rather him bless us with that he doesn't. But you see, he knows how to bless us. He knows what we can handle and what we can't. He knows how much to bless us at any given time. We have to trust him in that. We have to believe that he has our best interests at heart. And how many parents here today, you have to do the same thing when you're raising your kids. There are things that your kids are going to want that aren't going to be good for them, and you know it's not going to be good for them. And so you, if you go ahead and give it to them, you're a bad parent. If you know it's going to hurt them, you're, you're going to do everything you can to, to prove to them you don't need this. This is going to be a bad thing if you go on with this. God's no different, except he's greater at it. He's better at it. He knows how to bless us and how much he can bless us. And we talked about the concept that with great blessing comes great responsibility. The more we're blessed the more vigilant and the more cautious we have to become lest those blessings go to our head and they ruin us. And we as human beings, we, we will struggle with that. We can start thinking we're pretty good people, you know, we're, we're better than the average bear, you know. Because... God's doing all this good stuff for us, we must be something pretty special. And we can let our blessings go to our head, and if we do that, it'll ruin us. It'll ruin us. I have seen great men that God blessed with tremendous knowledge and understanding of the word, and their fame began to spread, and as it began to spread, their egos also began to enlarge until they came to a point when it was all about them and no longer all about God. And great was the fall. You have to be vigilant when you're blessed because we have a tendency to let it go to our heads. One of the promises that God had made to Abram when he introduced this covenant with him was that he was going to bless Abram 
And in this setting right here, we're able to witness God mightily blessing Abram even before he had fulfilled his side of the agreement. He wasn't in complete compliance with the plan of God and with this covenant that God had made with him. And yet here we still see God blessing him. Lot was also being blessed, not because he was a part of Abram's mission, but in spite of the fact that he had just tagged along uninvited by God, and yet here he is, Lot is being blessed along with Abram. And we talked about that that's sort of a splash-over blessing. And God doesn't mind splash-over blessings. He doesn't care if somebody else around you is getting blessed because you're getting blessed. That's okay with God because he wants to bless. And if you can be a vehicle to help somebody else be blessed, why not? It's the will of God. He wants us to be able to take blessings with us wherever we go. That's what David said. I'm going to leave blessings behind me wherever I go. They're going to follow after me. I'm going to be a blessing. And we can be blessings like that. Splash over blessings for others. God's not afraid to in invoke a sort of act of good faith toward us. When we become a part of his team carrying out his purpose here on earth, he doesn't mind taking a chance on us. And he will continue blessing us even though we haven't fulfilled our part of the bargain yet. That's who he is. That's who God is. God can be seen granting us the benefit of the doubt. We need more of that on our part toward others. Granting others the benefit of the doubt instead of jumping on all the bad news and believing it before we've even had a chance to verify it. Because we would rather believe it than the good. Thank God that he's not that way. He gives us the benefit of the doubt. And he is merciful. He's filled with compassion and goodwill toward men. That's what the angels proclaimed when Jesus came. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, that's just the God of the New Testament. No, it's the same God in the Old Testament. It's the same God he still had good will toward men in the Old Testament. It didn't change. He still had good will. And it's a rare thing that when, when God gives us what we deserve, it's a very rare thing indeed because that's not who he is. Not who he is. And we better be glad for that. We're going to discover that our God's going to continue to demonstrate his belief in us even when we make decisions that may sidetrack us from our mission, from our purpose. It's going to be to our advantage to be cautious about our willingness to pass judgment upon others who happen to get themselves kind of sidetracked and off mission once in a while. Because that's what God does for us. And we talked about if we get so judgmental of others and don't want to give them space to recover 
when we find ourselves in that same condition guess what if we're not willing to forgive others when it comes our time we're not going to find forgiveness either so we've got to be careful when we get judgy about others we've got to rejoice in the fact that our most precious God is merciful he's full of compassion in his treatment of us we talked about this other word last week and that word is clemency that's associated with God clemency is the it's the implication of the one who possesses that quality as being one who has a mild and a merciful disposition when it comes to the area of the exercise of punishment that's God you look at so many situations when it looks like God was so severe in the Old Testament when he would wipe out entire tribes of people wow that's that's vicious God but what we don't understand is unless you start looking at the history is God gave them 400 500 600 years to change it wasn't like he just flipped on a switch and said you know what I'm done this is over he sent people to them he sent prophets to them he sent individuals he let them know you're doing wrong you're doing things that I don't like and you need to change and he let that go on for a long period of time before he finally cut the cord when he saw they were not going to comply he said I have to take steps and measures he had to do it it wasn't because he wanted to do it that's clemency that's letting the that's just not taking the punishment just because you get your jollies out of that he's not somebody that gets happy whenever we mess up so he can thump us on the head that's not God that's not God our precious God is going to continue to believe in us until we finally reveal to him beyond a shadow of a doubt that this act of good faith that he's demonstrating toward us is misplaced when I thought about this my mind went to the story of King Saul sister Burton he taught us about King Saul not too long ago and he's a perfect example of this very fact how many opportunities did God provide for Saul to do the right thing time after time after time after time he would give Saul the benefit of the doubt only to have the benefit of the doubt taken away time after time He never seemed to get it right. He always made wrong choices. And Saul never repented when he got it wrong. That's the difference. Repentance is vital. I don't care how long you've had the Holy Ghost, repentance is still vital. He never repented. The only thing he did was offer up excuses for why he did 
what he did. We are masters at inventing excuses. Telling people, well, this is why I couldn't do so and so or such and such. And when we're trying to give God our excuses, He already knows. You're not telling Him something He doesn't already know. Excuses don't help the situation. We can see from Saul's life that there can come a great danger for us if we live our life under the delusion of excuses. Excuses are just an attempt to deflect the guilt away from us. That's all it is. When we make excuses, we're deflecting the guilt, pushing it off on somebody else. That's all excuses are. We saw that very same, same thing happen way back in the Garden of Eden when God confronted Adam and Eve with what they had done. And I want us to read in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses number 12 and 13. Listen to how this went down. So God's come to them and he's asked them the question, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? And this is the response from Adam. Verse number 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Is that repentance? That's an excuse. He's deflecting the guilt onto somebody else. So let's go and find out what happens to the woman. So God then turns to Eve. This is her response. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Did she? Yeah, I'm guilty. No. She deflects the blame with an excuse onto somebody else. It occurs again when God confronts Cain with what he had done. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 15. Genesis chapter 4. Verses 8 through 15. Verse 8 reads, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Listen to his response. And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Is he accepting guilt? No. It's an excuse. You know, how am I supposed to know where he is? 
Am I supposed to look after him all the time? Am I supposed to be the one, you know? It's a deflection. He's deflecting his guilt away from him. He's wanting somebody to look somewhere else, you know. It's not me. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Listen to verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. His punishment's greater than he can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. It shall come to pass that every one that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. In each of these situations, was there ever repentance? No. No. And this is the sad part. God cannot forgive us of our guilt and the mistakes that we make as long as we continue to deflect that guilt off of ourselves with excuses. You can play that game. You can deflect the guilt. You cannot claim what you've done. Put the blame on everybody else if you want to. You can do that. But you can't expect the guilt to ever be released from you and from the transgression that you've made until you come to your senses. Until we claim it and allow the remorse to move us to seek forgiveness for the transgression, we cannot be set free. It will stay attached to us. I don't care if you've had the Holy Ghost for 40 years. It still applies. If you don't want to accept the guilt and all you want to do is deflect it, you're going to be saddled with that. God can't help you until you man up and accept the guilt. I'm the one that messed up. I can't blame anybody else. It's me. I did it. And I need help. Yes, you do need help. But God's here to give it to you if you'll just confess it. Like he doesn't already know. Who do you think you're trying to hide this from? You can hide it from us, but you can't hide it from him. He already knows. What's the big deal? Just admit it. Just admit it. When God forgives us of our transgressions, he wipes the slate clean. Adam and Eve and Cain never asked to be forgiven. They just deflected the guilt. How different would their outcome have been if they had repented? Let's look in 1 John. Brother John, the apostle of love, 
1 John chapter 1. get there in a second here my fingers are dry that's my excuse (laughs) first john chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 verse number 8 says if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us in other words if you're not confessing your sin if you're deflecting your sin then the truth is not in you But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's just for the New Testament, right? Because God only does that from the New Testament on, right? No. It's the same God. John is writing about the same God that Abram knew in the Old Testament. The same God that Adam and Eve walked with in the garden. The same God that Cain knew. If they had just asked him for forgiveness, he would have given it to them. And guess what? Adam and Eve would have still been in the garden. Oh, wait a minute, that, that's the truth. That's God. The only reason he had to kick them out was because they wouldn't confess. How many blessings have we left unclaimed because of simple fact we won't confess? We deflect. How many good things have we negated in our life because we have refused to fess, just fess up to God? I'm the one who messed up. That's all I needed to hear. That's God. And that's how powerful our repentance is in the sight of God. He just wants you to know that you were wrong and admit it. If we never admit that we're wrong, he can't help us because nobody can be helped until they admit they've got a mistake, they've got a problem, that you've made a mistake. Nobody can help you if you don't, if you don't think, if you don't accept the fact that you've made a mistake, how are you going to correct it? Because as far as you're concerned, it, it doesn't exist. It's somebody else. They got the problem, not me. You know, it's, it's like the old adage when the preacher's preaching, boy, and he's preaching it hard, and you're just shoveling it over your shoulder. It's for everybody else but you. Because you don't want to accept that. It's not me. Can't be me. But all oh, the freedom and the liberty that comes when we will admit to the fact that it was me. And we bow our knees and ask God, forgive us. And he comes and he does just that. And that old stuff is just lifted off of us and it's a clean slate. That's all wiped away. He never remembers it against us anymore. It's gone. It's like it never happened. 
Isn't that, isn't that a much better way to live? Than having all this garbage trail you around the rest of your life, dragging this stuff with you all along? It gets tedious after a while. It gets so hard and overbearing after a while when all we got to do is cut the cord. And we're free. Praise God. That's what God's all about. Setting us free from the garbage. Making life so much easier for us. Praise God. Praise God. There's always the possibility of a dangerous situation being created within our lives by the fact of God remaining so trusting and so long-suffering toward us with his passion for blessing us. There's always a possibility of something dangerous happening in our lives. And let me just quickly throw in here that the fault doesn't lie with God. It's not his fault. The problem arises from within us. We're the problem, not God. The fact that this situation could transpire in our lives is the result of our own inability to Ability to recognize and understand these attributes of trust and long-suffering and the desire to bless us that are all a product of who God is. God can't help who He is. He is who He is. He shouldn't have to. Man, if, if, what if God was just the opposite of that? There wouldn't be any one of us left here. We wouldn't be here to begin with. I don't want him to be any different. I want him to be able to bless. I want him to be able to pour those things out in my life. But then the problem becomes me. The problem becomes me. Now this is the point that I, I want to make here. As far as Abram being blessed by God while he remained at Haran and off mission, we've got to know this point. And that is that God's blessing of Abram and Haran was not linked to any validation on the part of God for Abram's choice to remain there. In other words, God wasn't waiting for Abram to get completely in sync and in line with him before he blessed him. He was blessing Abram when Abram was off script, when he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And that's what we neglect to understand sometimes when God's blessing people. God's blessings were separate and apart from this whole heron thing. And this is exactly where the danger arises in this sort of situation for us. Because it'd be quite normal for us to interpret this part of the recorded story of Abram's life as an indicator that God sanctioned the actions and the choices that he had made to enter into Haran and then linger there for five years. God was okay with that. That's what we would walk away with in our thinking. Because here's God pouring out all these blessings on him. Well, he must be doing everything right then. Because you have to do everything right before God blesses you, right? No. It's not a validation because God pours out blessings on people. It's not saying... I have my stamp of approval on them. God blesses when we don't deserve it. You can't use that as a measuring stick.
we've got to be careful not to assign God's stamp of approval or okay upon anyone's lifestyle just on the basis of the appearance of his blessings being placed on them. We can make wrong choices and bad decisions, but eventually, somewhere down the road, we can right those things and we can move forward. However, some people may observe us living within those times of questionable choices and yet be blessed by God and interpret that this was an indication that God's okay with what's going on when in fact that's not the case at all. Well, they're doing it and getting away with it and God's blessing them, so why can't I do it? I've heard that. Brother so-and-so is doing this and that and sister so-and-so is doing this and that, but God's still blessing them. I guess it must be okay. That's dangerous ground to be thinking. It's not understanding who God is that can get us into trouble. You can't use that to validate someone's choices in life. Because you can be misled. It's happened many, many times. It's happened. there's a story that I can tell you and I know this I know this personally there was a a great man of God used mightily by the Lord built a great big church had uh, I don't know four or five thousand people that were going to his church when at a time whenever big churches weren't the big thing and he would get up in the pulpit preach I've heard some of his messages some of the most dynamic messages I've ever heard the man had a gift the gift just so blessed of God and it came out that the man was a drunk there were countless times he would get up in the pulpits just dead drunk Now, if you were to look at this situation and you were to look at this man and you were to say, man, he must be doing everything right. God's blessing him. All the, the church is growing. I mean, blessings are just poured out upon this guy's life. He can't do anything wrong. Well, it must be okay to get stone dead drunk then and still try to carry on for God because God's blessing him doing it. How wrong is that thinking? We can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to do that. We're not supposed to be judging ourselves by one another anyway. For that very reason. I can't look at you and think that I'm better than you because, you know, I've got all this going on in my life and look at you, you're, I don't know what you're doing, what you're not doing. I don't know that. How can I judge myself by you? I don't. I can't do that. It makes no sense. We do it. We shouldn't, but we do. But there's danger in that. There's a danger in that. And 
So here we are with Abram. Now I'm convinced that it wasn't really a part of God's plan for what he had done. In fact, it's my opinion that by Abram putting the mission of God on hold for all of those years, he had actually caused the plan of God to be placed into a state of having to be recalculated. The plan for God's timeline had needed to undergo a change. And what I mean by that is that because of the time that was spent in Haran, it had of a necessity been pushed, had pushed the plan of God further off into the future before it could be fulfilled. It had changed the plan of God to something else. Some of the events that God's original plan would have set to transpire at some specific point or juncture within this scheduled time frame that God had established had to be shifted due to the decision to remain inherent. Now to explain how I see this playing out in the life and mission of Abram, I want us to consider some of the events that led up to the birth of Abram's son Ishmael just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from on this. We'll get started on this, but we won't get finished with this part of it today. All right, to start off with, we know that Abram enters the land of Canaan. We're going to find that out here. Verse number 5 talks about it. And after an undisclosed amount of time spent traveling around throughout this region, this land of Canaan, we're told that a famine breaks out. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 10 tells us that there was a famine that broke out. Verse 10 says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, in Scripture, famine is often associated with the hand of God's judgment being set against a kingdom or a nation for some evil that they've done and not repented of. That happens quite frequently that God will just cause a famine hoping to bring repentance and a restoration I make this point because Abram was intended to become a sort of a connecting point between the people of the land and this amazing God who had called upon him to take up this special mission that he was now involved in perhaps if Abram had arrived five years earlier the famine might not have even occurred. Maybe it could have been averted completely or if not, at the very least, postponed until a later time. And that could be thanks to the uprightness and the positive spiritual influence that he would have had time to exert wherever he went because that was his mission. Maybe all that Abram would needed to have done would have been to intercede on behalf of the people of that land to seek God's forgiveness for their transgression so that the famine could be lifted. One man connected with God can change things. That's been proven. He could have been that very individual to have done that, to have averted that causing of that famine upon that land Abram was very good at interceding with God we're going to find that out a little bit later on 
But for this occasion and for this time, Abram makes the decision to head south and to enter into the land of Egypt because he had learned that there was food to be found down there. Let me just tell you that this decision wasn't in God's plan for Abram. We're not told that God told him to go down into Egypt. God called him to be in Canaan. He didn't call him to go to Egypt. God had told him, wherever I lead you and you put your foot, that's what land I'm going to give you. Did he give him Egypt? No. You know why? Because God never led him there. You go where I lead you and I'll give you that land. He went to Egypt. They never got Egypt. The reason they didn't get it was because he didn't send him there. He went on his own accord. He took it upon himself. We're just going to go to Egypt because there's food down there. It's easier. It's easier. So once again, Abram's decision would change events along with the timeline for those events to occur because he's journeying off script. This involved the passage of time in a new direction and the creation of new events that would now require the intervention of God to correct. We're going to see this happening a few more times in the life of Abram. I'm going to quit there for today. We'll pick that up for next week. There are so many things about God that we don't know. And let me tell you, the things that we don't know about God can hurt us. We need to know more about Him. The reason we have so many different opinions and ideas about God is because people don't know Him. And yet they think they do. And they have misinterpreted God for so long that's why God doesn't make sense to most people because so many people have so many disconvoluted ideas about who he is and none of them are correct. We need a world today that knows who he is and what he's all about. We need to clear up the misconceptions, the misunderstandings. We need to clear his name, if you will, and make God become who he really is and let the people see him for who he really is. That he's not an evil tyrant. That he's a God that would love to pour out blessings on their lives that they can't even begin to contain. That's God. That's God. I want us to pray in closing today that God would just help us to allow God to reveal himself to us. Who he is. Who he really is. so that we can also begin doing that in our world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much today. We, we know some things about you, but yet...